right, everybody. How are we doing today? Yeah. We doing good? Man, I'll tell you what. Welcome to New Life. Glad to have everybody here with us. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping at all of our campuses today. Whether you're at Ogallala, North Platte, or here at the Kearney campus, I believe God's got something special for you. I want to say a special hello to everybody worshiping with us at our online campus, soon to be called our global campus. Uh, we've got some big things that we're in the works of doing, and I'll let you know about that in the weeks to come. It's going to be an exciting launch of a brand new, a brand new campus, and you're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come. So that was just like a little taste for you that are here today and everybody else that will watch this forever online, by the way, which is a little bit of a scary thought. When you think about preaching God's word that will forever be online, it better be timeless. And you know what I love about God's word is? It's timeless. It doesn't matter when you've been on this earth, God's word still is practical. God's word will still be practical if Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years. But how many guys want Jesus to come back now? Yeah. All right. Okay. But he's not. So here's what we're going to do. All right. Oh, he hasn't. Let me say it that way. He hasn't. So we still have to get prepared for what he has for us. And today in our teaching series, Never Alone, I want to talk to you about what it's like for God to be with you even in your waiting, even in your seasons of waiting. Because we don't like to wait, do we? We're not those kind of people, right? You don't walk around anymore seeing people just philosophizing, sitting in a nice park, wherever your community is, just staring at the clouds, right? Waiting on just whatever. If you do, you normally go, kids, stay away from that person. <laughs> You have to excuse me, I've been sick for about two weeks and I'm just getting over it. So if you'll just excuse any of my coughs, sniffles, right, um, or any of that kind of stuff, I just want you to know I'm not contagious. I've had multiple COVID tests, just so you know, actually three of them, and they're all negative. So praise the Lord for that. But we don't like to wait. I was on hold waiting for a company to solve a problem for me this past week, two and a half hours. Does anybody feel my pain? All right, I had to see many different doctors, okay? And I'm not talking about an urgent care where you walk in and you're just the next person in line. I'm talking about where you've made an appointment with a doctor 15 to 30 days in advance. You show up early, you get all your paperwork done, but yet you still wait there another 30 to 45 minutes? What? I know who's getting paid all the money here, but I showed up on time. Let's go, people. Come on, right? Now, I'm thankful for you, doctors, so if you're out there, please, I know I'm thankful, but just feel our pain sometimes, all right? Stick to the schedule, all right? What about this? You ever been cruising down the interstate at interstate speeds, like 90, and, um, and then all of a sudden you have to stop and come to a full stop because of construction or a wreck that was ahead of you? If you've ever waited on the interstate going nowhere, you know how frustrating that is right? Waiting. You ever been, you ever have to wait on that one particular, and be very careful right now who's sitting next to you. You ever have to wait on that one particular person in your family all the time while you're trying to get out of the house to rush someplace? Please don't look at your neighbor. Every family has one, by the way. Have you ever had to wait in the airport for a flight that was delayed? Wow, that's fun. And you know what it always is? It's always while you're trying to get where you want to be. Not while you're trying to get home. It's like we're going to an island for a two-week vacation and you end up in the airport for three days waiting on delayed flights. 
Or what about this one? Waiting for an item. This is really important, like right now in the time that we live. Waiting on an item that you purchased, okay? And then after you purchased it online, then you got the email. I'm sorry to say that this item's on back order. We'll let you know when it's ready. And you're like, I have paid all the money. Like, give me my item. When you're in a season of waiting, you feel like you're stuck. And we don't like, we don't like to feel like we're stuck, right? Because when we're stuck waiting, we don't like it. You know why? Because we're no longer in control. And we don't like to be out of control. But there's also serious times. Serious times where you're in these moments where you're waiting for God to do something miraculous. And it just seems as if you're in this season of waiting. Like you're waiting for your marriage to change. Or you're waiting for a spouse to come home. Or you're waiting for the healing of your health for your body, or you're waiting for a new job to present itself, or you're waiting for God to answer a prayer, right? Or you're waiting for God to deliver you or to set you free, or maybe you're just waiting for the memories of a painful past to one day dwindle away. We have some serious waiting times in our life, and I just want you to know today that God, God doesn't always deliver you from your waiting period but he can take, take you through a period of comfort because you can rest assured in knowing this that even when you're in a period of waiting, you're never alone. That God is right there with you. That God sometimes, he allows the waiting to shape our spiritual character. He'll allow the seasons of waiting. When we think, God, you should do something now and he doesn't do it, he does that to strengthen us as well. God's never absent in your waiting. God's always watching you in your waiting. God knows all of the details in your waiting. God, God's never late in your waiting. God's never missing in your waiting. So please never assume that God's, God is absent right, in your waiting because it just appears as if God is quiet. God's quietness does not equate to God's absence in your waiting periods. We don't like to wait and in those waiting periods, we tend to drift from our faith in God. But no, this is the time where God gives us strict instructions on what to do when we're in our waiting, to trust him that we're never alone. In fact, I want to take you today to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. That's where I'm going to preach out of today. So if you would just open up your Bible to that, that would be super helpful. <coughs> it's not on you version today. I apologize for that. So just open up your Bible, um, go to, go to uh, your Bible app, get Jeremiah chapter 29, because I want to help you understand what is God's expectation for you when you're in a season of waiting. So to give you the background of Jeremiah chapter 29, th this book is written somewhere in the neighborhood of 598 BC. So 598 years before Christ shows up. The Israelites, they had been in captivity to the, the Egyptians. Now they're in uh, times where the Babylonians keep attacking them. And every time they attack them, they keep taking captives back to Babylon. They've been attacked multiple times by the Babylonians, right? And every time people disappear. Jeremiah, though, is one of the prophets to the Israelites at this time, sent by God. And he speaks on behalf of God. And check this out. He's been doing this job at this particular moment for now like 23 years. That's important to know. Because in that day and time, if a prophet wasn't preaching, 
the word of God accurately and correctly, he wasn't telling the people what God's heart was accurately, then that prophet didn't last long. That prophet was killed. That prophet ended up disappearing. So false prophets didn't last long in Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah's been doing it for 23 years. What does that tell you about his character? What does that tell you about his track record? Right? What does that tell you about his accuracy in knowing God and knowing God's heart? It tells you everything. It tells you he's a man of God. So before you can truly grasp what goes down in Jeremiah chapter 29, you got to go back. You got to go back to Jeremiah chapter 25. Because in 25 is where Jeremiah comes to the people of Israel and he gives them this prophecy that they don't want to hear. It's a prophecy from God that says, look, you're going to be in a season of waiting called captivity for them. You're going to be in a season of waiting for 70 years. And that 70 years is because of your idol worship and you've turned your back and your heart on God. And you've walked away from him. And he gives them this prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 25. At the same time that Jeremiah is a prophet that is telling the people what God's heart is for 23 years, there are also false prophets in the land. And these false prophets have been prophesying for many years. And they tend to prophesy these easy prophecies to God's people that don't require a lot of repentance and don't really require them to change their life. And and so they're, they're out there doing this very same thing. And so the chapter before Jeremiah 29, chapter 28, all right, there's a guy named Hananiah. Hananiah is described as one of these prophets who's attempting to speak on God's behalf, but he's a false prophet. And he prophesies to the people, no, it's not going to be 70 years. God's only going to make us captive and make us wait for two years. And Jeremiah even says this about that prophecy. Amen to that. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome if that's what God would do. I would love to see God do that, but I'm going to tell you right now, God's already prophesied it's going to be 70 years. Well, Hananiah's prophecy turned out to be inaccurate because two months later, he died. That's what happens to false prophets. They don't last very long. That guy shows up and he's out of the scene just like that. So then Jeremiah chapter 29 comes along. And 29 is basically a letter that the prophet Jeremiah is writing to the elders of those who are in Babylon waiting on God for 70 years. This chapter probably arrives to them after being there for one or two years into this 70 years of waiting. It shows up to them with those instructions. But surprisingly enough, it also tells us that there are false prophets among the people in Babylon that are still prophesying this same prophecy Excuse me. that came from Hananiah, they're still prophesying this, that we're only going to be here for two years. I just want you to know today, it doesn't matter whether you lived at 598 BC or you live in the year that we are in now, there are always going to be false prophets. There will always be these spiritual leaders. There will always be these so-called self-proclaimed spiritual leaders as well that will always give you the easy road. They will always tell you something that's simple from God instead of something that holds your feet to the fire of repentance and holds your feet to the fire of righteous living. They were, they were among Jeremiah's day and they are still among our day. This is the context in which we find ourselves in chapter 29. But in chapter 29, God gives us strict instructions on what we should be doing as a people in the day and age that you and me live when we're in our seasons of waiting, waiting on God to show up, but yet knowing that we're never alone. And I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter 29 and start in verse 5. 
that in your waiting, God says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. In your waiting time. It does, God's not giving them instructions here on, hey, just put on sackcloth, right? Kneel down on the ground. I want you to pray 24-7 while you're in your waiting so that I might deliver you. No, God says something completely different. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, and eat the food that they produce. Basically, God's saying this to the people. I want you to go all in. I want you to put both feet into the waiting period. We don't like to do that. We like to have one foot in the waiting period and one foot out of it, go in the direction that we feel like we want to go. So basically what God's saying to the people is this. I want you to commit to the waiting. Why would God ask us in our seasons of waiting to commit to that season of waiting? Because commitment allows for contentment to grow in your heart. When, you're, when you commit to this season, as difficult and as challenging as it might be, then contentment can start to grow in your heart. And, and what God wants for you is this. He wants you to be content where he has you. You may not like it. You may wish you could change it. It may not be the most comfortable season that you've ever been in or the most you know, productive season you've ever walked through. But God's asking us to be content. Why? Because contentment comes from believing that God knows where you are. Did you hear me say that? Contentment then means this. God, I trust that you know the season that I'm in. I trust that, I, I believe that you haven't forgot about me. I trust that your timeline is perfect for me. I trust, God, that you have my back. Contentment isn't selling, selling out. Contentment isn't settling. Contentment isn't quitting or giving up the fight. It's not about backing down, right? Contentment is the ultimate sign of loyalty, of trust, and of faith in the provision and in the wisdom and in the protection that only God can bring. So when we commit then contentment can grow and contentment says this to God, I trust you where I'm at. Guys, isn't that the right place that you could see like God would be going, yeah, that's where I want you to be? Of course it is. When I got here to be the youth pastor, I had been on this cycle in my life, right? This is like over 20 years ago. I'd been on this cycle. Every three years, something significant changed. And so I remember when that three-year mark started to hit, Right? And I'm thinking, I'm starting to get restless, and uh, you know, I'm in my waiting, and I'm like, God, what's going to happen? What, what are you going to change? Right? And I'm restless about it, and I'm looking, right, for other things in my own heart. And I just remember this moment where God met me in a moment of prayer, and God just basically said this to me, Jeff, did I open up the door for you to come here? Well, that answer is yes. Then can you be content with where I brought you? I remember that first time that God really asked me that question. Can you be content here? Will you basically, will you trust that I opened up the door and I brought you here? And guys, when I said yes to that, that moment was a game changer. That was a game changer for me. Contentment allowed me to begin to maximize where I was at. Vision started to come alive again. Ideas started to flow. Creativity started to flow. It's like I went in with both feet and I stood there and I was like, okay, God, this is where you had me. This is where you got me. This is the door you opened up. And guys, for those next six years of being here, those, those were great years of being here. It went from cloudy days at the, that three-year mark to where, you know, it's kind of like I'm the uncertain and what's going to happen and am I going to give my best or not give my best to like the clouds broke and every day was a sunny day. Can I just tell you this? Life is radically good when every day is like a sunny day. That's life. 
But that only happens when we're content. So what, what would be that, that thing that God's asking you or me to do, to lean into? He would be saying this to you and me. Shut the other doors in your mind and your heart to escape the waiting and embrace the waiting. Some of us, we're entertaining ideas and thoughts of how to get out of where we're at. And I really believe that God's maybe speaking to some people right now. And he's going, look, if you want to embrace and you want to commit and you want to learn what it means to be content, then you got to shut the door on some of these other opportunities. Like you got to throw away the other job offer. I just believe that's for somebody today. You got to throw away the other job offer because you're not going to be content and you can't commit where God has you in the waiting. You're going to avoid it. You're going to miss it. God's going to bring you right back to it somewhere in your future. You might as well embrace it now. Delete the distracting people out of your life. That's a word for some people. Some of you have got some distracting people in your life that are pulling you maybe away from a marriage or pulling you away from being able to be committed um, to your job or pulling you away from being committed to your family or pulling you away from being committed to the Lord. And you need to get distracting people out of your life. Delete them. And then for some of you, you just need to stop entertaining destructive and rash thoughts of escaping and running. That's your idle time for some of you is the daydreaming of how can I escape this? How can I run away from this? How can I get out of it? I'm just going to tell you, if any of those thoughts are racing around in your heart, then you can't commit. And if you can't commit, you can't get content. Here's another thing that I think all of us can start practicing right now is that start to thank God for the open door that brought you to where you are. Where you are is because God opened up a door to get you there. And the more that you start thanking God for the open door he created, the more committed you can be, the more content you can be. And here's this. Start doing something practical in your life that takes you to an all-in situation. Do something practical right now. What's something practical that you can do to be more committed where you are so that you can grow in more contentment? Let me just say this. For some of you, somebody's here today, you need to hear this. Buy the house. Buy the house. You've been wondering, like, should we do it? Should we not do it? We got this option. We got that option. This is going on. That's going on. And the whole time, your world's just spinning out of control. And you're getting nowhere. Buy the house. Lock in. Some of you need to commit to the board. You need to commit to the organization, right? You need to commit to the school. You need to commit to whatever it is that's hanging out there that you're wondering, should I commit to it? Should I not commit to it? Commit to it, right? Sign up for the elective classes at work. Sign up for the elective training at work. You're like, I don't know if I want to stay here. I don't know if this is where I want to invest myself. I'm just telling you, this is where God has you. This is the door he opened for you. So step into it. Sign up for the elective classes, I don't know, maybe that's for somebody today. Stay home, more evenings. I guarantee you this is for people today. Stay home, more evenings. Make the commitment to your family. Make the commitment to your spouse. Then you'll start to see contentment to grow more. Am I stepping on anybody's toes right now? I apologize. But I'm just telling you, this is what it looks like to commit and be content. So remember, commitment grows contentment. That was the first thing God was telling those people to do in the season of waiting. The very next verse, because I told you we're just going to walk through this. He says this in verse 6. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. How many people have grandchildren right now? How many of you guys do believe that, that statement, right? That grandchildren are a blessing for not killing your kids. How many of you guys believe that? I believe it. Have, very many, have many grandchildren, right? 
Then read those last words with me. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. God's saying this to us, that look, once you go all in and you commit and you're starting to grow content, right, where God has you, then you can begin to thrive in the waiting. This is one of the things that God's calling us to do. You may not like the season of waiting, but God's asking us to thrive in the waiting. Waiting for God to move, give direction, or change the circumstances does not mean that you have to live in a spiritual desert. Just in this season of waiting. Doesn't mean that you have to dry up. No, God's calling us to thrive and multiply in the waiting, not to dwindle away. So I, I equate this to kind of like, like an illustration that I would think of was something that I have a love-hate relationship with, my lawn. <laughs> and this is the love-hate that I have about my lawn, okay? Because I like green grass. Anybody like green grass? Okay. All right. If I water my grass, it does what? It grows and it turns green. If I don't water my grass, it turns brown and it dies. So if I water my grass and it grows and it's green, that means I have to do something that I don't want to do. You got to mow it. And I don't even mow it. I hire somebody. I don't like paying to have my lawn mowed. You see, so I got this love-hate relationship, but I like the look of green grass that is cut. Come on, somebody. So if I stop watering my lawn, here's what I know is going to happen in Jeff Baker's heart. I'm going to hate my lawn. And then I'm going to stand on my porch, I'm going to look over my neighbor's grass, and I'll be like, I want their grass. I want their green grass. I want their shortcut, good-looking green grass. And you've heard it said that the grass is always greener on the... But we know that that's false. The grass can be greener on your side, but you have to do something. You have to invest into the watering of it. You have to thrive in that moment. And when you invest into making where you are the greatest, it's like watering your grass. Then you can begin to thrive and multiply in your waiting. So what does this mean for us? It means this. Make an investment into yourself. In this season of waiting... Okay, instead of trying to fix the waiting problem, start making an investment into you. Make an investment into your spirituality. You know, get a part of a life group. Start doing a Bible study. Start reading your Bible more. Start praying more. Make an investment into you. Make an investment into your your mental state. For some of you in this season of waiting, get healthy mentally. Go see a coach, a life coach. Go Go be a part of a counselor. Uh, you know, get, get a counselor in your life. Like, get healthy mentally. Get healthy emotionally in this season of waiting. And for some of us, we just need to get healthy physically in this season of waiting. Invest into you in this season of waiting. You'll thrive more if you're investing into you. It takes time. It takes energy. Yes, I get it. But you'll like the results better. It's like watering the grass. You'll love the results better. Right? And that will help you to even grow in that contentment. Even more, so you'll build on top of that. Thrive and multiply in healthy relationships in your waiting period. Personally, in your, in your relationships. Get the right people around you in this waiting period. You'll thrive and multiply more. Use New Life Church to help you do that as well through some of our life groups. Thrive and multiply by preparing for the long game, not the short game. 
We are notorious for trying to prepare for just next week or tomorrow. And I'm telling you, in this season of waiting, if you want to thrive and you want to multiply, it's not about taking care of the needs of tomorrow. It's preparing for what happens when the waiting period's over. And this is what God was asking them to do when he's asking them to multiply. He's going to look, one day the waiting period is, is over and I want you to be able to thrive and multiply when it's done. So get married, have children, have grandchildren, multiply yourself. Right? In this scenario that I'm trying to communicate back to you, you're planning for the long game, not the short game. I, I hesitate to say this, but I just need to say it right now. I was a great youth pastor. And that doesn't, I'm not trying to say that in, a, in a, a bragging state, because I know that obviously as a great youth pastor with many victories and many wins, that came because of God's blessing. And I fully recognize that. But I also know one of the attributes that makes a great youth pastor. Javen, right? Listen up. Trevor, listen up. All right? One of the attributes that makes a great youth pastor is this, that they've surrendered to the idea that they'll be a youth pastor for the rest of their life, if that's what God asked them to do. I've surrendered to that. I had surrendered to that. I was not using youth ministry as a stepping stone, as in some people's good intentions told me, that one day, Jeff, you're going to make a great, real pastor. <laughs> a, a great, real pastor. I think that youth pastors and kids pastors are real pastors. Yes. But you, you can, you'll thrive in that position when it's not a stepping stone to something else. When, you're, when you go all in. And so every day I woke up, man, I lived and I breathed teenagers until one day I woke up and I didn't like teenagers. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even joking with you. It's not that like I didn't like them, it's that they drove me crazy. I, I went from having incredible patience for the craziness to it drove me nuts. And then I realized, God, it, it, you're doing this to move me. The, that, that season was now done and you're moving me on. You thrive and you'll multiply when you completely surrender to God where you have me is the right place for me to be. So thrive in the waiting. Are you getting anything out of this so far? Okay, because this is just God's word. Verse seven, the very next verse. Here's what God says about your waiting. He says this, in your waiting time, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Watch this. For its welfare will determine what? Your welfare. So when you're all in, in your waiting period, and you give it your best, then not only do you benefit, but everybody benefits. So God's saying this to us, make the waiting place the best. Make the waiting place the best. So wherever you're waiting, desire for it to be the very best. Regardless of who the leader is over you, Regardless of who your spouse is, right, when your waiting place is blessed, you get blessed. So here's how it works out. When your boss gets blessed, if you desire for your boss to get blessed in your season of waiting, that's really frustrating for you right now. If you desire for your boss to get blessed, when your boss gets blessed, you get blessed. If your marriage isn't exactly the way you want it to be, if you're praying for your spouse, when your spouse gets blessed, guess what? You get blessed. If someone came to your house today knocked on your door after church and said, hey, by the way, I just felt like I was supposed to stop by and write a check for your mortgage. 
after you shut the door on them, like, I'm not wanting to buy whatever it is you're trying to sell. And then they knock again and they come back and you're like, what do you want? I really want to write a check for your mortgage. When you passed out, when you came back from that moment, and they wrote you the check for that mortgage, let me say this to you. Not only were you blessed, but everybody in your house is going to be blessed. Because things are going to radically change. And that's kind of the principle that God's asking us in this season of waiting that to be the blessing to everyone around you in the waiting period. Stop being the Eeyore. It's a choice. You don't have to be the Eeyore. Clouds on me all the time, every day. Eeyore, I'm in a season of waiting. I don't want to be here. Or you can be the blessing. You can be the guy who's showing up on the doorstep writing the check for the mortgage. Not literally, but you can be that person in people's lives. Meaning this, you can be a part of the solution in the waiting period. Move from the back row of complaining to the front row of action. Some of you need to do that in this church. Move from the back row to the front row of engagement in ministry, in a life group, in your spiritual life. Move from the back row to the front row in your marriage, from complaining to being a part of the solution. Move from the back row, right, in your workplace to the front row and be a part of the solution. Move from the back row of complaining to the front row. Another thing we can do in, in this, in this, to make it the best, the season of waiting the best, pray for the prosperity of where God has you. Pray for a blessing over your, over your leader at work. Pray for a blessing over your spouse. If th- wherever, whatever town or community God has you, you want to be more committed and more content and thrive there, pray for the blessing of the city officials. Pray for a blessing of the school system and the principals and the teachers and the superintendent. B- pray for a blessing over them. They'll, they'll engage you more into the community. And basically, be the light of Jesus to the darkness of your waiting period. It's a choice. It's a choice of whether you're going to be a, the light of Jesus or you're not going to be. So those three things are what we see God instructing his people. But then God says this, warning he turns around in the very next verse, verse 8, and he goes, warning, watch out in your waiting period. This is what the Lord said in 29, verse 8 and 9. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in your waiting trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're only telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. In your season of waiting, whatever you're waiting on, right, be very careful for people that are good-hearted people. Right? They often want your best without seeking God's best for you. And so they'll tell you things like, yeah, you should just leave your spouse. It'll make you happier. Not thinking about the long run. Not thinking about what God's best is for you. They'll often tell you to take the easy road and not God's road. They'll, they'll tell you, you know, what makes you feel good for the moment, but what's not best for the long run. Watch out for those people. God says this, warning, watch out. They inadvertently are telling you lies that are only going to make your situation worse. So if you're in a season of waiting, who should you be running to for advice? First and foremost, God's word through the power of his Holy Spirit. Secondly, seek out a pastor. Somebody that will speak God's word to you, not just an easy word to you. 
right? Seek out a life group leader that truly has your back from a biblical perspective, not just because they know you, right? Or seek out a Christian counselor that will speak God's word to your heart. Watch out though, because in this season of waiting, you're vulnerable and you will hear the easy road and you'll hear the easy options from many different people, but that's not God's road. Be very careful. Watch out for them. In conclusion, I just want you to know, here's the good news. In your season of waiting, you're not alone. You're not alone. The very next verses, verses 10 and 11, this is what the Lord says. You will be in waiting for 70 years, but then I will come and I will do for you all the good things I promised and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have given you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I just want you to know today, God has not forgot you in your waiting period. That God is working his very best plan for you in the waiting period. And that God is preparing you for something amazing at the end of this waiting period. That's something you can trust. So what does God say in light of that? He says this in the last verses I want to read. He says, look, in your waiting period, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be people of prayer. I want you to be people of worship. I want you to be people that seek me and to know me and to find me. He says it basically this way in verses 12 through 14. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and I will restore your fortunes. Come on, somebody. That's good news, right? It's good news. Here's what it tells us. It tells us this, that in your season of waiting, when you'll pray and when you'll seek God, you can know this, he hears you. And you can find him. And that God will miraculously, in that season of waiting, give you a content heart to trust him and his timing. And the beautiful promise is this, that he says, I'll restore your fortunes. It means this, that God is basically at the end of your waiting, he's, he's ready to bless you. But I know that seasons of waiting are difficult. And just like Max Lucado said in his book that you are not alone, he wrote this. He goes, the road between supplication and celebration can be a long and wearisome trek. Meaning the road between your waiting and the waiting period to be over can be a long and wearisome trek. So this is what I want to encourage you here at the end of this message. Don't give up in your waiting. Okay? Keep looking up toward God where your hope comes from. Right? Don't walk away in your waiting. Okay? Walk in. Walk into the presence of God in your season of waiting. Don't lose heart in your waiting. Get closer to God's heart in your waiting because God's with you in your waiting. You are never alone, church. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Stand with me. Yeah, you can clap for God. God's good that way. Come on. Give it up for him. Give it up. God, thank you. Thank you that we're not alone in the waiting, God. Thank you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we're not alone in the waiting. Thank you, God, that you don't just leave us there, you know, to like, you know, struggle in our hard times. Lord, the waiting time might be difficult. You never promised it to be easy. But you did promise this, you'll never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, you ask us to commit and to go all in and to grow in contentment. Lord, you ask us to thrive in the waiting. And you ask us to make the waiting place the best by praising you, 
by seeking you, by worshiping you, by lifting your name up, by trusting you in the waiting. So Lord, we're not going to give up. We're going to press in. We're not going to walk away, God. We're going to run towards you. We're not going to throw our hands up and just surrender to it. God, we're going to make it the best. We're going to let you do what you want to do in us. And we're going to be the best models for you in the season of waiting. Because we know that even in waiting, we're never alone. So Lord, thank you for that that hope. Thank you for that promise today. Be with us in this season of worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.